Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Paul writing, he says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came who is overall the eternally blessed God amen but it's not that the word of God has taken no effect for they have they are not all Israel who are of Israel Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Father, here we have before us a few moments to open up your word and and learn. Lord, as we embark upon the next few weeks of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, Lord, uh, necessary instruction, necessary meat, necessary understanding, and theological moments and definitions that we will look at that will help us to understand salvation, help us to understand your heart for us and the church for the Gentile outside of the church, for the Jew outside of the church. Help us to understand what it is that you're attempting to convey to us in these next three chapters as we begin here and carry on today. We've already started, Lord, but as we carry on um, chapter 9 today. So, Lord, it's your time. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Romans chapters 1 through 8. Paul opened up the the very book of Romans by really painting a a pretty difficult picture. Uh, It was a picture that basically put us all under sin. Romans 1, 2, and 3, we we see, even all the way up into chapter 6, we see that sin, uh, and even into 7, you know, that, that we are all confined under sin. We, we all are sinners. He paints a black picture there in Romans chapter 1 of, of us in our sin. He paints a pretty ugly picture in there of, of what happens to mankind when he rejects God and does things according to his own will. God will give them up to debased minds, to do all the unrighteousness, all the ungodliness, to suppress the, the unrighteousness of God of the truth of God in unrighteousness, to suppress the truth of God or the truth of Christ in unrighteousness. Because, he says, what may be known of God is clearly manifest in in anyone, but they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. God says, I'm going to give them up to the debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. We were all under that sin at one time or another in our life until we came to Christ. You know, we, we understand Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? We have, we have you know, the wages of sin is, de- is death. I'm sorry, I didn't read the whole of, ver- of, of the verse, Romans 6.23. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. We all have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are all confined under sin. And, and yet we come to Christ. And then Paul moves on into you know, Romans 6 and some battles that he had. And then in Romans 7, this incredible battle that he had. You know, I know the things that I will to do. Those are the things I don't do. And the things that I don't do, those are the very things I practice. Those are the things that are, I struggle with. Those, and we could identify with Paul in his Christian walk. I know I could. Hopefully you can. Hopefully you understand that if you've been a Christian any amount of time, that there are just various things that continue to creep back up into your life and, you're, and they make you so angry
victory that you can overcome them and yet you can. You know you can. Yet you get so frustrated when you continue to fall back into those things. And, and, and when you go back to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness, it's pretty easy the first time and you have that sense of cleanliness in your heart. Okay, Lord forgave me. And then you go back and do it again. And then you go, wow, I, I already asked God for forgiveness for that. And I'm going to go back and ask him again. All right, I'm going to do it again. And, and maybe the second time you do it, you're, you're still feeling okay, I mean, yeah, God forgave me. And then the third time and the fourth time, and when you get you know, into a multiple times where you're going back to the Lord asking forgiveness for the same sin, for the same issue, maybe it's something that's going on in your mind. Maybe it's not an actual you know, physical sin, but it's, it's, it's a mental sin. Maybe it's something that you think. Maybe it's something that you entertain in your mind. And, and you struggle with it. And you go back to the Lord to a point where, I don't know if you've ever gotten to this place, where you go, what's the use? Why go back and ask God for forgiveness because I'm just going to do it again? I wouldn't forgive me if I were God. And Paul, that's what Paul's whole Romans 7 passage is all about. He goes, man, those are the things that I will to do. I'm not doing those things and it ticks me off. The things that I ought not to be doing, those things that are going on in my mind, those things that I touch with my hands that I shouldn't be doing, those are the very things that I practice. In fact, I look at that and I go, man, I wouldn't forgive me. He identifies that in Romans, in Romans 7, 24. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm a wretched guy. I'm horrible. And I'm the Apostle Paul. And if the Apostle Paul was sitting there saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. Man, is there any hope for us? And yet, the Apostle Paul says, Man, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you see the frustration in him, Right? He says, I thank God through Christ Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 8, that glorious chapter 8, the very center of the Bible, if you will, of the New Testament of the Bible. You remember we talked about if you were to, there's 66 books of the Bible, if there was only, if you could only have access to one of the 66 books, most theologians, most expositors of the word, most Christians that, that know a little bit about all of the books of the Bible would would probably your highest book there of choice if you only could have one book of the bible which would it be most people would say probably the book of romans because the book of romans lays out the gospel very clearly and it argues the point of salvation and of man in his helpless and hopeless state before a holy god but that there is a willing God who would send his son to die in our place. And it's only through that that we can find forgiveness of sins. We can, the wages of our sin is death, but we can have a free gift through Christ. That free gift of God is his son. And, and so it's just all encapsulated. The gospel is all encapsulated in the book of Romans. And then there's 16 chapters in the book of Romans. And so in the eighth chapter, it's the center of the book of Romans. And so if you look at the book of Romans, it's kind of being kind of one of those greatest books of the Bible. Not that any of the other books are, you know, inferior to the book of Romans. I don't mean to in- imply that. But here's the thing. Romans is a very important book. It's an intense book. It's something that we should know. It's why we're spending a lot of time in the book of Romans. I don't even remember how many messages I did in Romans chapter 8. I think we're in, I think in Romans 8, I think I did eight messages, seven or eight messages in one chapter. It's probably going to be, you know, four messages in Romans 9. This being my second one. And here's the thing, Romans chapter 9. All the way through Romans chapters 1 through 8, we have this picture. And then Paul comes and he kind of, crescendos it off there in Romans chapter 8 where he says, you know, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor, you know, you know, principalities nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's just this this crescendo that Paul says, man, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I forgot to mention that one because I kind of started going down something here though. But Romans chapter 8, he goes, man, Romans 7, tough thing. Romans 8, man, I have got no condemnation 
It's not just to me, but it's offered to anyone who is in Christ. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he, and then he culminates it off at the very end of the chapter. You know, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's like, if Romans 8 ended there, it would be, it'd be cool, you know? But Romans 8 doesn't end there. Romans 8 is followed by Romans 9. And, and then Romans 10, and then Romans 11. And, and it's like Romans 9, 10, and 11, there's almost this parenthetical point. There's a parenthetical section in the book of Romans that Paul pulls out and says, I know what I've been saying up to this point, but I need to put in 9, 10, and 11. Not that he put the chapters in there. That's somebody that did it well after. But Paul says, I've got to put this parenthetical discussion in here. Romans 9, 10, and 11 talks about the Jews. Mostly, for the most part. But I need to put this in here. But then Romans chapter 12 comes along and he says, you know, I beg you therefore, you know, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And so if you went kind of from Romans 8 and then just tapped on Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it like would flow very well. Man, nothing shall separate us from the love of God as he ends in Romans chapter 8. Now, therefore, he says, you know, in Romans chapter 12, he says, so I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I mean, it, it just flows. The problem is, is that Paul goes, but before I get into Romans chapter 12, I need to really address chapters 9, 10, and 11. And it's almost like this is a little out of character here. But Romans 9, 10, and 11 are incredibly important passages. Uh, uh, we're going to look a little bit at that today, but here's the thing. We're going to look in two different ways of, of what this passage that I read to you today is, is all about. And I'm going to do it very quickly, so it's not going to be an incredible amount of time. It's kind of setting us up for next week. Paul, he, he understood that, uh, you know, my last message that I did here, and Kevin did a fabulous job last week. If you weren't here for Kevin's message last week, do you, you, do you all know that you can get our messages online every week? You can go on and you can hit, you know, recent messages or recent, I don't even think it's, teachings or something like that. You can click on that and you can get the messages. You can listen to Kevin's message from last week. It's on there. Um, But two weeks ago, I spoke on Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. I don't know if you remember that, but the point is, is that Paul, as he enters into Romans chapter 9, he, he says, okay, this is, this is, I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to anybody who's coming to Christ. I'm talking to anybody in the world. I'm talking to the Jews. I'm talking to the Gentiles. I'm talking to the church. This is, there's three basic categories in the world, right? You've got Jews and you've got non-Jews. Non-Jews are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew here today, you're a Gentile. But then there's that third classification that actually incorporates both the first two, the Jews and the Gentiles, and that is called the church. And so here's the thing, I'm neither, it's neither about Jew or Gentile at all, it's when we come to Christ, we become a part of his church. And so there's really three basic you know, classifications of people upon the face of the earth. You've got Jews, you've got Gentiles, and you've got the church. And so here's the thing, he's talking to Jews, Gentiles, and the church through Romans 1 through 8. But then he goes, but I want to focus on the Jews here for a second, Okay. And he says, I'm telling you the truth. And I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the, in the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you the truth. What's going on in my mind. I've understood this concept of the church. I understand what the church is all about. I used to be a legal, you know, religious Pharisee. Amongst my brothers, I excelled them all, Paul will say later on. He says, I was a Pharisee. I grew up under the greatest teacher. In fact, Gamaliel is known even to this day to Orthodox Jews as the last true Pharisee. You understand that? And Paul says, that was my mentor. That's who I grew up under. That's who mentored me to be who it is that I am. It's wild when you you begin to touch the present with the past. And you begin to go, wow. Wow. Okay, 
So this Bible, is, it's not just a fictional thing. It's not a fictional book. It's not just various you know, mythological stories. No, these are true stories. This isn't a Lord of the Rings trilogy. The thing is, we read those other books, and they're cool books, but they're not life-changing books. And if they aren't, well, you need to get a life. I like them. They're cool. But uh, to me, I don't know. If you don't like them, that's cool. That's fine. You know, hopefully we don't split a church over. Well, he likes, you know, the Lord of the Rings. I, I, you know, my wife doesn't like them. We're still married. Here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Sorry. <laughs> it's just kind of that correlation between the church. Here's the thing. It... But those things are not life-changing. They're not life... You know what? When I die, it doesn't matter about the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, does it? What matters? It's the contents of this book is what matters because this book actually is a book greater than the never-ending storybook that if you've ever watched that movie, it kind of comes alive to you. Or Jumanji, they have a book that kind of comes alive. Here's the thing. This book... Those movies kind of take the concept of what the Word of God does and makes it entertaining. And you know what? I'm afraid what we have done in Hollywood is we begin to dumb down the Word of God. What we do is that the enemy has attacked our intellect as lovers of entertainment. That all of a sudden, all of these other things of which they borrow from the Word of God And they make a whole other story about it to a point where, well, there's a story and that's really entertaining. And there's a story and, well, that's really entertaining. And there's a great movie out behind it, you know. And there's a, you know, another story over here and there's a great, oh, these guys, these actors are awesome. And this, you know, uh, you know, the CGI, you know, computer graphics, you know, that are in that thing are fabulous, you know. Yeah, but what about the Bible? Well, it's, it's cool too. Wait a minute. This is the greatest book of all time. In fact, this book right here, it claims that itself is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a sword. This is God's breathed word speaking into your life and into my life. And so here's the thing. All of that said, Paul... He's saying, here's the thing. I grew up under Gamaliel. But I got it wrong. I got it wrong. My best friends were Pharisees. How many of you have grown up with some best friends that don't, don't know the Lord right now? Just raise your hand. If you have best friends that you grew up with that do not know the Lord, raise your hand. I mean, hi. Hi. So everybody can see. See, there's a room in here that you've got some best friends that are not of the Lord. Here's the thing. I did too. I believed what they believed growing up until I came to Christ and all of a sudden something happened. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you in here have best friends that since you've become to the Lord they're no longer your best friends because they don't really like this, the path that you've taken? I can raise my hand to that because you've become a Bible thumper because you have become pretty religious. That's Paul. He says, my friends that I grew up with, the friends that I went to school with, the friends that I joked with, the friends that we probably used to spit wad here or two and hit the back of Gamaliel's head, I don't know. He never knew. He wasn't a prophet. He was just a good teacher. We joked around, we had a great time, and then I came to Christ. I understood Christ. In fact, I used to be an antagonistic, an antagonist against Christ, against the Christians, against the church. In fact, I excelled them all. In fact, I would take them and I would, I would take families and rip them apart. I would have them stoned to death. In fact, Paul was the authoritative, authoritative figure of the Pharisees the day that Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned. They all laid their coats down at the feet of young Saul the Pharisee, whose name would eventually turn into Paul. He says, 
The Bible says that they laid their coats down at his feet as he was giving approval to go ahead and stone Stephen to death because he was a, he was a Christian. He was a part of the church. He followed Christ. But then Paul got knocked off his high horse, right? On the way to Damascus. Remember that? And then Christ grabbed a hold of his heart. And then for three years, he studied in the Arabian desert. And then anywhere from 11 to 14 years, he ended up going back home. He did try to go into Jerusalem a little bit and hang out there a little bit, but it got too hot because he became crazy for Christ. He didn't care about his life. He became one of the greatest evangelists. He began to excel even the disciples. And he made it so hot in Jerusalem, and they said, Paul, you've got to get out of here. You're going to kill yourself and everyone else. So they sent him home, back to Tarsus, his own home. So they sent him back to Tarsus. Go home, Paul, where he stayed for probably about another 11 years. So Paul was a Christian for about 14 years before Paul's ministry actually began to take off. Do you understand? I don't know if you know that. Do you know that? Paul, before his Christian ministry really began to take off, he was in the faith for about 14 years. But it's in the midst of that time that Paul was sitting there going, I miss my friends. I miss them. I miss who those people are. I miss those people in my life. And I've tried to talk to them, and they are so vehemently against what I know who Christ is. And if they just opened their eyes, if they could just see... My family, who sacrificed so much to send me down to the greatest school ever upon the face of this earth for, a, for the Jew to go down and to learn and be mentored by Gamaliel. My family spent so much of, and sacrificed so much to send me to become who it was that I was. And now I have, I have become a mockery and a shame to my family because I'm not the man that they thought they were sending down there I was before I had many accolades but then I came to Christ and I tried to tell everybody and they're not listening and man I'm telling you the honest truth that if I could actually if it were possible if I could actually give up my own salvation and and, and go and spend an eternity in hell so that their eyes would open because I love my friends I love my family I love those that I grew up with I I would do it in a heartbeat, but it can't happen that way. It just doesn't happen that way. There's a heart that Paul begins Romans chapter 9 with. But I love the Jews. Paul, they're trying to kill you. I love them. Paul, they're mocking you. They're coming against you. Every city you go into, they go there and they start ridiculing you. In fact, Paul, there are going to be some of these guys that are going to go out and they're going to be the impotent. They're going to be the, the instigators to get you stoned to death one of these days. And oh, I love them. That, that, that their eyes would just crack open and see Christ. That their eyes would crack open and see Christ. Man, that's who I want. The point that I want to make today, and I know that I've really kind of given you the heart, hopefully, of what Paul is beginning Romans chapter 9 with. Do you now understand Paul loves the Jews? I don't care what they've done to me. I love them anyways. I don't care what they're trying to do and to squelch me and to silence me and to do everything they can do to stop my mouth from going, I used to be them. I know what's going on in their mind. And only if God would just touch their life like he touched mine. I hope that I can be the man that can be one of those men that speak into their life that they would open their eyes and see. And you know what? There were many that did come to know Christ through Paul. But not all of them. And he was so passionate about the Jews. But he, he, he does say this, and, and I'm just going to do this real quick. He says in verse 4 and 5, he says, I wish myself were a curse from Christ, verse 3, for my brethren. Who are his brethren? My kinsmen according to the flesh. Who are his kinsmen? He explains who they are in verse 4. He says, they're the Israelites. To whom pertain the adoption? I'm going to focus on verse 4 and 5. I'm not going to hit 6, 7, and 8. 4 and 5, real quick, pertains the adoption. 
Know this, when God picked the Jews, the Hebrews, Hebrews and Jews are synonymous. Hebrews is just the term that they use for the Jews in the Old Testament. Jews are the term that they use for the Hebrews in the New Testament. You understand that? So here's the thing, they're synonymous terms. So here's the thing, God had a plan and what he did is he picked a tiny little nation and he said, here's what it is I'm going to do. I'm going to put my power upon them. I'm going to show them my glory. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to touch them. And here's what's going to happen. I want you to understand the whole purpose behind God ministering to the Jews and doing what he did and handpicking the Jews to become his children. He adopted them to be his kids. They're my kids. So that I can show my power on them so that the rest of the world, the nations of the world would sit there and go, hey, wait a minute. Look at that tiny little nation. There is no way that they should be in existence. There's no way that they should be in existence. And you know what? Today, you just need to look over there into the Middle East and go, what is the big problem in the Middle East? It's not Iran. Iran is a problem. But I mean, what is Iran's problem? It's the Jews. It's Israel. What's the problem with even who we've liberated? Iraq. It's the Jews. It's the problem with Syria. It's the Jews. It's the, what's the problem with, with Lebanon? It's the Jews. It's the problem with Saudi Arabia. It's the Jews. What's the problem with Qatar? Qatar. It's the Jews. I, 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 what's the problem with, with Starbucks? It's the Jews. I cracked up just a few weeks ago when Starbucks had this big push on racism, you know, and, and encouraged their baristas to get into a discussion on racism with people. Racism is, 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 racism is bad. Racism is bad. Racism is bad. Let's talk about it. We have no tolerance for racism. Ask a barista, hey, do you have any Starbucks in Israel? Uh, no. How come? Well, we they have this this very well business statement that comes out. Basically, we can't make money in the Middle East if we sell coffee in Israel because then we can't sell any coffee in any of the other nations. In the surrounding Middle Eastern nations. We can't do it. Here's the thing. Tell me about racism. When you start putting a coffee man, you put your business in the middle of, of Israel. You won't do it. I'd say that's racist. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about racism and intolerance. I'm so tired of it. Jesus is a racist. He says, Israel's are my people. They're my people. That's racism. Wait a minute. I chose the Jews, not because they were any greater number than anyone else or because they were anything special. In fact, they're kind of stiff-necked. They're kind of tough to get along with. But I chose them anyways, and I love them. Jesus Christ came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I came here for the lost house of Israel, Jesus said. That's who I came here for. John says he came unto his own, but his own received him not. The point is, God is a racist when it comes to that, if you want to use racism in that, in that aspect. But here's the thing. Stop talking about racism. Let's start talking about reality. God put his hand upon a tiny little nation so that the rest of the world would look upon that tiny nation and see God's handiwork and blessing and that the rest of the nations of the world would go, my, you guys are blessed. My, you guys are protected. My, you guys have so much. What is your secret? The Old Testament evangelist is the Jew. Well, it's not because of us. It's because of God. The God we serve is the one who blesses us. He, le- he led us through the wilderness for 40 days. 
pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. He, he, he led us. In fact, every day we woke up to some manna on the ground. We woke up with food on the ground. We didn't have to go out and harvest anything, plant anything. He did it for us. And on the sixth day, he'd give us double portion. On the seventh day, wild, no food on the ground. Want to talk about miraculous? That's the God we serve. That's the God that loves us. Oh, so he doesn't love us? No, he would love you too if you submit yourself to him. There was many opportunity for other nations to become under the guidance and the supremacy and the sovereignty of God if they would just surrender themselves to to the Lord. But you see, that's not like a lot of us. We don't like that. We don't like to have to surrender to somebody. So when I look at this, the Jews were adopted in, not because of anything special about them, it's just because God had touched them and God wanted to show his power on them. The Jews are a lot like us today, but Paul, I don't want you to get confused and I'm about to say something that can cause confusion. Here's the thing. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are talking about the Jews. Not talking about the church. There are many teachers that will teach that 9, 10, and 11 is basically discussing replacement theology. I know that that might sound really weird or might sound kind of funky, but here's the thing. Replacement theology is, is an idea that many have come up with that said, well, the Jews, the promises were to the Jews, but now that they have completely and totally you know, been stiff-necked and God is not dealing with them anymore, the replacement theology means that all of the blessings and all the promises that God gave to the Jews have now come upon the church. And the church is now the Jews. What's that noise, Adam, you make? Huh? Huh? Is that it? Huh? Bear. Ah. Wrong. The church is not the Jews. God still has a plan for Israel. God still has a plan for the Jew. Today, we're still called, if you saw on the board here during prayer, there was, a play, there was one of those screens up there that said, pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're called to pray for them. Does it mean that they do everything right? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. Is there sin over there? Oh man, is there a lot of sin over there. But you know what? They're still God's people. And God still has a plan for the Jews. 9, 10, and 11 is God's plan. Not just for the, mostly for the Jew, but it's also laying out the plan. Laying out the plan of salvation. It's laying out the plan of God's, you know, instituting God's plan in the, 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 the grand aspect. He says, he says, uh, uh, they're Israelites that pertain to adoption through the glory. God revealed himself to them. Remember, they shook their knees there on, on a, uh, the mount before a, a Moses went up into Sinai. They freaked out, you know. Um, the glory of God, he was, they were revealed to them. The covenants, that's the law. God gave them the, the law. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 3. He says, you know what? Here's the thing. What advantage then has the Jew or what profit is the circumcision of the Jew? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. What does that mean? They were the ones that actually wrote out the word of God. They're the ones that God entrusted to put the law, to write the law, to, to put the law and to pen the pages of Scripture, the oracles of God, the covenants. And they held and, and took such good care. Man, can we just honor the Jew for that, the scribes of the Jews, because they would meticulously write out every single letter Every single, they put their pen down after every word that they wrote. And when they went and wrote down a word for God, they didn't even spell out the whole of the word. Here's what they do. Every single letter that they would put down, they didn't even put his whole name. They just put, you know, four letters for his name. And after every letter, before they even wrote the first letter, they would ceremoniously wash their hands, dry their hands, pick up the pen, write one letter, put the pen down, wash their hands, dry their hands, pick up the pen, write one more letter, put the pen down, wash their hands. Do you get the point, right? Anytime they came to, a, to a, 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 the term God, 
the name of God in all of the Old Testament. That's what they would do. They took care of the word. They transcribed it. They continued to duplicate it and pen it out and pen it out. God entrusted that to them. And I thank God that they took such good care. And when you go back and you look at the artifacts of the thousands of remnants that have been found of the Word of God, partial remnants, the accuracy is in the 99 percentile of all of the remnants that are out there. It's amazing. It's unlike any other book. It's magical. But it's not magic. It's God, you see. He says... The giving of the law, yes, the, the giving of the law. The service of God, the service of God. They service the temple and the promises of whom, the promises that God gave were to the Jews, of whom are the fathers, all the fathers, Abraham. And we're going to get into Abraham next week. Abraham and Moses, Isaac and Jacob, all these guys are the fathers. And from whom, and I'm going to end with this, and from whom, this is a fascinating passage. If you are not an underliner in your Bible, shame on you, become an underliner in your Bible. Well, I don't know, it's such a holy book. You know what? It's the content of the book that makes it holy. Write in your Bible. Do it. That's the cool thing, because next time you go back, you go, oh yeah. I remember that. Yes. Oh, yeah. I see that. I see that. I underline. Oh, yeah. That had an impact upon me. And it draws you back to that place where God had spoken to you. It's awesome. Make this your workbook. Make this your life book. Let your pages become brittle. If you wear out a Bible, I'll buy you a new one. Okay? Wear out a Bible. Okay. He says, listen, and I want you to be an underliner of this passage because it's one of the greatest texts, speaking of the deity of Christ. Listen, of whom are the fathers and, of whom, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. I don't know how to break it, but Jesus was a Jew. Okay? Jesus wasn't anything else. He wasn't American. He didn't have long flowing hair and looked like he just came off his surfboard. You know, I, I see people, you know, you know, see some churches where they, they show, you know, uh, you know, Jesus is black. You go to a black church and, and they have Jesus is black and you go, well, you know, why do you do that? You know, they're probably more accurate than you are and I am. You understand? The Bible doesn't put down Anywhere in Scripture, the description of what Jesus did. Hey, he was six foot two. He weighed about 175. He had a chest about 38. You know, his waistline was about 28. Dude was buff. You know, he was really a handsome guy. He had long flowing hair down to here, you know, and his eyes were blue. <laughs> it doesn't say any of that in Scripture. I think when we get to heaven and you see the dude that Everybody depicts Jesus as, he's going to go, would you get away from me? I'm not Jesus. You might run past him and go, hey, where's Jesus? It's me. No, come on, really, where is he? No, it's me. No, I've seen pictures of you. I have you in my house all over the place. You are not, I, listen, you are not you. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a reason that we don't have a picture it's because we'd sit there and start worshiping a picture. Someone has to worship a picture. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he said, right? Worship Christ in spirit and truth. Why do we worship Christ? Because he is God. See, that's where I kind of have a problem with some of you Christians. You might be in here. We, we used to have some some. There was a guy in our church that said, well, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he's the Savior, I believe that, but I don't believe that he's actually God. And you might be here right now going, yeah, I don't believe that he's God. You're going to you're gonna have to scribble out verse 5 of chapter 9 of Romans. Listen, it says, Of whom are the fathers? 
and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And I know that some will like to say, well, he's saying, you know, God's blessed. You know, he is Jesus, you know, he's Christ, but, and then God's blessed. They try to, to fragment that statement saying, well, he's there, you know, Paul's saying that, that God's blessed, but his son, Jesus, is cool too. That's not what that says. It says, it's according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. Who is he talking about? Who is over all? Who is the who that is being spoken of? It's Jesus Christ. The eternally blessed God. Another version. It says, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God. The one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Another version says this. It says, Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned, and he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. You know, well, what is, what is the King James Version says? Because, you know, that's what Jesus used. It says, Concerning the flesh, he, who's, who are the fathers uh, of whom, concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God-blessed. He is the blessed God. He is the blessed God. Here's the thing. That's who Jesus is. He's God in human flesh. So as we move on into 9, 10, and 11, there's going to be some heavyweight stuff that we're going to be looking at in here. Um, Spent a little while with a brother here in the room at you know breakfast the other day and kind of going over some of these things and you get you know kind of confused on some of these things. Hopefully, I can alleviate some confusion as we go through this and begin to just kind of just look at the heart of God. But here's Paul. Paul's going, man, I love my countrymen. I love them so much that I wish I could go to hell if that were the case, if their eyes would open if the result would be that their eyes would open so that they can have an eternity with God, with Christ in heaven, who is God. I love the Jews, is who Paul is saying. And as a pastor in this pulpit, I want you to say, I love Israel. I make no bones about it. I will not ever make any bones about it. Did they send them to the cross? Yep. So did the Romans. But so did I. I love the Jews. I love Israel. I support the Jews. I support Israel. And I will do that even if it costs me, my church. I, I will adhere to this frame of mind because that's what the Word of God says. That's what the Word of God says. God said Abraham, who is the father of the Hebrews. And we're going to get into Abraham next week. Listen. He who curses you, I will curse. He who blesses you, I will bless. I want to be blessed. I'm going to bless the Jews. I'm going to bless Israel. We in us as a country, we're, we're moving in a, in a dangerous road right now where we're beginning to maybe kind of turn our back a little bit as a country on Israel. And I'm just going to pray for the leaders of our country. Not hate them, but just pray that the leaders of our country, their eyes would be open soon, that they realize that cursing Israel or coming against Israel in any shape, manner, or form, you're basically fighting against God. What are you doing? Why would you do such a thing? Father, today, uh, we just come before you, and, and, and Lord, I pray that as we recognize that you, Jesus Christ, are just as much God as the Father and as the Holy Spirit, And though it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it because we have nothing from which to compare it to. And I know that others have attempted to compare something that is alive and well or some comparable uh, fixture or item here upon the face of this earth. 
to try to describe or define what the Trinity is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal, all one, co-equal, one not being greater than the other, coexistent as one singular God. with three personalities of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have nothing from which to compare it to. We have nothing from which to describe it as. That's okay. If we could describe you, you wouldn't be God. I'm good with that. I'm just going to take it as you lay it out in Scripture and show us. You are God in human flesh that became a man, died on a cross for us. And the dynamics of the cross where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all very prevalent on that day. I don't understand how it all was separated on that moment. I don't understand all of that. I don't have to understand it. In order to believe it, it's by faith that you have given to me. It's by faith that you've given to us to recognize it It was the only possible plan to save mankind. And you pulled it off. You did it. You did it. You did something that not a man could ever do upon the face of this earth. You were God. You became a man. And you did it. You gave us salvation. Thank you, Lord. You made a way a forgiveness of sins and restoration and a relationship with God. Separating the dividing wall that was between us at one time, Lord, you tore it down. You opened it up so that we could walk boldly into the throne room. And we thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that we can have eternal life because of you. And Lord, I know that many of our friends might not totally understand it as Paul struggled in his own life. That his friends that he grew up with, they didn't understand this this newfound faith that Paul had found. And yet Paul never wearied of his desire to see his friends saved. Lord, let us have that same heart. Where even though we may not completely be able to explain the Trinity we understand that Jesus, you are God and you became a man and you hung on that cross and you took our sins upon your shoulders and you died in our place. And then you gave us life when you rose again three days later. We don't understand it all. We can't completely and totally understand it. Might be able to describe it quite a bit, but you know what, Lord? I know that there are many of our friends that don't, can't grasp it. Help us, Lord, not to get frustrated or give up or become weary in telling them about it. But Lord, give us that heart that Paul had, that, that deep sorrow and continual grief in our hearts for those that we love so much until the day that they become a believer. God, may it be. Keep us strong, Lord, in you. To never give up. To never give up. To never grow tired of living for you. Keep us strong, Lord. The world is waning away. The the people in our country, our sphere of influence and friends are are starting to to walk away from, from faith. They're walking away from God. They're walking away from the Word of God. They're walking away from you, Lord. God, help us to stand strong and be a guiding light in these very, very, very dark days. Let our light so shine before men that they see our good works, and glorify you, Father in heaven. May we be the salt of the earth, the light into the path, Lord, because of what you have done in our lives, and let us never grow weary while doing good. Oh, Lord, God, please let that be in our life. We're in a very serious and dangerous time right now. We are living in a day, Lord, where it would be easy to take a path of least resistance. Give us the fortitude and the power and the strength 
Empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to not be tempted to go down those roads, nor to give in to that temptation to go down those roads. But Lord, let us be a light. Let us be a firm foundation because we're standing upon you. And Lord, may people find comfort in what it is that we know. It's you. It's you. It's you, O Lord. We cry out for the souls of our loved lost ones. We cry out for them, God, save them, open their eyes, let them just get a glimpse of who you are. Lord, as you were there in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came to you and you said, who are you seeking? And, and, and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And then you gave them a glimpse of your glory when you said, I am. You used your name as the holy God. And it says that they fell over as dead men on their backs because they could not stand under the glory of even your name. God, give our loved ones a glimpse of your glory. God, give our loved ones a glimpse of your reality, of your truth, so that they would come to know what it is that we know. When you knocked us off our horse and caused us to be on the ground, to look up and say, Lord, what would you have us to do? God, make us be that way. Help us to live our life in such a way that others would see that in us and then desire what we have. God, let them have that same experience as we have had. Or when we came to you and we've recognized that our life was lost, but then you found us. And from that day forward, we have never been the same. God, we cry out for those loved ones. Save their souls, Lord. And use us. God, we're running out of time. I've spoken with five pastors today, and every single pastor, we're talking about the urgency of this day that we're living in. Not many days left. God, let our days be used for your glory, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.